The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word. Uh, uh, I, I thought after this week that it would be very timely to preach a message about hell, right? I mean, guys, a little warm this week. Right? So, you know, the way you do that is you have a week of about 106 degrees, and then maybe we should kill the AC in here, right? I mean, it's struggling anyway, right? So we can just kill the AC, and then and we can just talk about hell, and we'll all uh, be inspired to live for Jesus from here on out, right? I mean, I know that's not how it works. It's just fun to joke around. I want to get into the word uh, mainly because I, uh, I believe... Uh, in the message this morning for the purpose of being an encouragement to everybody, no matter what. Uh, no matter what you're, you're dealing with or seeing, uh, you could be in celebration, you could be in, in trial or hardship, and the word that we're going to celebrate this morning will apply uh, to every person, and, and it's not uh, subject to uh, a life experience or age at all. It's a really uh, important thing to know and understand. Here's a few things that we're going to find as we move through the scripture. Uh, one, we're going to find of the question that needs to be asked in any situation. In any situation, uh, there's a question that needs to be asked. Now, when I say any situation, I just mean it, it, it's universal in its application. I don't mean that you have to ask it in every situation. I simply mean you can. Uh, it, it would work in any situation. Another thing that we're going to find is what it means for God to be our Father what it means for him to be our father. Now, this is a really important thing. I mean, when you talk about God as your father, it's very easy to, to get kind of, you know, the warm and fuzzies, so to speak. Uh, there are some very uh, popular songs in Christianity that identify God as our father uh, because the, it, it strikes a chord with our, our hearts. It really meets a need in our lives. Uh, we're going to see what it means in the scripture for God to be our father and, uh, and to see to it that that relationship is uh, uh, producing the things that it's called to produce. A third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus left with us or what Jesus leaves with us. Now, the language there could provoke all kinds of, you know, debate. You know, well, Jesus didn't leave me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. It's a translation thing in the scripture. When we get there, you'll get it. The point is, is Jesus gives you something, and we're going to find out what that is. Uh, and it's very important to know. Uh, so I want you to, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 16. I told you before we're going to find the question that can be asked in every situation. You'll, you'll find it in Matthew chapter 16. Now, I mentioned turning to Matthew chapter 16, but I want to paraphrase quite a bit of it. I mean, Matthew chapter 16 is where you can find it. You, you're welcome to, to read that in your own time, and, and I would encourage that. But I want to give a bit of a paraphrase of what's going on here. Jesus is ministering. He's been ministering uh, for some time, and, and that means delivering the Word of God that is, is powerful and impacting people's lives, producing transformation and change. Have you ever heard a, a message preached, you know, the Scripture uh, being delivered, and just really felt like it was for you? I mean, I think every one of us has been in, in uh, moments where we've, we've heard messages preached and just really felt like, wow, that was for me. Well, this is going on uh, and, and people are being moved by the word of God. They're, they're having their, their needs met by the scripture and by the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are miracles taking place. There are wonderful and, and, and 
never before seen things happening that have people completely excited. So the, the ministry of Jesus Christ is, is happening in full force, and, and there's a lot of activity and a lot of buzz and, and a lot of, of, of things going on, and this predates things like social media, so much of the buzz is word of mouth. But everywhere that Jesus is going, you know, cities are, are turned upside down with excitement and, and all kinds of, of talk, and some of it is is accurate, some of it's not accurate. I mean, just think Facebook and just think Facebook with no smartphones, right? I mean, it's just people talking. And so all of this is going on in, in one, what I believe to be one evening, Jesus is with his disciples and he asks this question. Now, I think this is the question that needs to be asked in any situation. Now, we've used this passage in messages in the past, but I want you to, to, to catch what we're go, where we're going today. We're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. But make a note of this question that Jesus asks. When he asks this, I believe he's presenting to us a question that we need to ask ourselves often. So he asks this question. Now, this is just a question. It's not the question, right? A question, not the question. He says, who does everyone say that I am? There's all this buzz. There's all this talk. You know, they've come into town, and it's turned things upside down. There's all of this energy. People are chatting. And... and his disciples begin to reveal what they've heard. Now, what they've heard are all kinds of things. I mean, it's, you could call it gossip. You could call it hearsay. You could call it just, just you know, information. I mean, whatever you want to label it. And so they begin to reveal the things that, that they've heard. They say, well, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead. And, and some people say that you are Elijah. And some people say that, you know, you're Jeremiah or, or that you're one of the prophets and, and they're answering his question as to what people are, are saying about him. Now Jesus asks the question. Now this is the question that I think we need to apply often in our lives. The question that can be applied to any situation. Jesus looks at the, the disciples and he says, And who do you say that I am? And what's interesting is, is if you read between the lines here, it goes quiet for a moment. I mean, this is a more difficult question to answer. It's easier to give an answer for someone else. It's easier to say who they say that Jesus is. But when confronted with who you say, now all of a sudden you're going to be giving account for the words that you speak. You're responsible for this declaration or this stance. And, and there, a lot more caution needs to be exercised. Now, this is when Peter speaks up and he says, I say that you're the Christ, the Messiah, you know, the, the anointed one sent from God. And, and, you know, Jesus makes the declaration that this wasn't flesh or blood that revealed this, but it was the Holy Spirit that revealed it. And he speaks about the foundation being Jesus and Peter being the rock that would be built upon him, all of these wonderful things. But that's really not where we're going with this. Where we're going with this is the idea of asking in any situation who do I say Jesus is? Whether it's celebration, whether it's trial, it doesn't matter. It could be at the best time of your life. It could be at the lowest time of your life. It could be, you know, at any point in your life, you're able to ask, who is Jesus? Who do I say that Jesus is? And it's a really great thing to, to ask because it's very easy for things to become common. I mean, when you look at churches today, oftentimes if you go to anychurch.com, I mean, any church website, you'll find, you know, a, a mission statement, a vision statement, a statement of faith. 
And that statement of faith will probably identify the, the group's views and opinions as to, you know, who God is and who Jesus is and what the scripture means and says. And, and that's really who they say. The question that Jesus asks is, where do I stand with you? Now, this is really where the rubber meets the road, because oftentimes I'm dealing with situations or circumstances in my life that I know we all deal with. There can be uh, moments of, of celebration. Things have gone right, and there's victory, you know. Who do I say Jesus is in that? Well, I say he's the one who made the victory possible. He opened the door. I had a conversation with my wife recently about you know, a, a business decision and, and some things that had gone on, and I had to stop and say, you know, if I take any credit for that, I, I, I open up the door uh, to be compromised. The reality is many people have tried to do that and not had the success that, that I've had there, and I have to say it's the blessing of God that did that, nothing that, that I did that stood out as smarter or better. So giving God glory and victory, being able to identify who Jesus is in that victory is a really good and healthy thing. Trial and tribulation, who do I say Jesus is there? I deal with moments of severe provocation where, where there's attempts to, to draw me out of righteous actions or righteous speech, you know, to, to draw into conflict or, or to disrupt you know, general good behavior, and I have to ask myself in that situation, who do I say Jesus is? Well, he's my king. I need to do what he says and not what I feel or I think or what I want to do in my reaction. So who Jesus is to us in any moment will affect who we are in that moment. How we handle that moment. It really is the question to ask. Now what's really helpful is to understand who Jesus is according to the scripture. That way we can always apply who he is in those moments. Whether they're celebratory or whether they're difficult or trials. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that we can build upon from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, I want to read verse 6. Now, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is a passage of scripture that comes out often, you know, around Christmas time when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, and, and uh, uh, it's a wonderful passage you'll probably see on a lot of Christmas cards that come your way when it's not 106 degrees outside, at least I hope it's not 106 when we get to December, you never know, it's Texas. But it's a passage of scripture that we tend to see more in the Christmas season, but I think it's a passage of scripture that we ought to, to soak on uh, more often because it identifies who Jesus is. And as we know who Jesus is, we can answer the question when we deal with troublesome situations as to who Jesus is in that moment. Here's the passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Now this is a real great scripture to kind of keep in your pocket. Now when I say that, I don't mean you literally need to write it down and keep it in your pocket. But when you have a list of things that make up who Jesus is, it's helpful when we need to apply who Jesus is to us in any given moment. I mean, let's just say there's a moment where there's severe provocation, and I ask myself, who do I say Jesus is? Well, that's a good time to pull out Prince of Peace, right? 
If there's a, a situation where I don't know what to do, and there's, there's confusion or there's chaos, and I need to answer the question, who do I say Jesus is in this moment? Well, that's a good time to pull out wonderful counselor, right? I say Jesus is my wonderful counselor in this moment. He'll lead me and he'll guide me through this confusion and this chaos. I will pause and not make my decision until I have direction from the one who is my wonderful source of counsel. I won't move until Jesus says move. I mean, when we know who he is, we can answer that question in a, in a right way when we deal and we face with things, and we all are, are dealing with things and all facing things in our day-to-day -day life. Our life is nothing but a series of choices and decisions made, and as we make those choices and decisions by rightly applying who Jesus is in those moments, we open up the door for victory. So I want to take this passage of Scripture and just identify what doors are open when we apply who Jesus is. First and foremost here was Wonderful Counselor. Now I think you could break this up and you could say Jesus is Wonderful, comma, and Counselor. But I want to combine them that he gives good counsel. Because not all counsel is wonderful. I've been given some really bad advice. You ever had that happen? I mean, I've been given some counsel before, executed that counsel, and then had deep regrets. So I think it's good to lose the comma and say wonderful counsel. Jesus is a good counselor. When he gives counsel, there won't be any regrets when it's put to practice, when it's brought into existence. Wonderful counselor. Here's some uh, uh, things that the scripture says about receiving good counsel. When we're faced with situations where we don't know what to do, we're at a crossroads, maybe have options, choices, or decisions to be made, who do I say Jesus is? I say he's a wonderful counselor, and it opens up the door for the following. Proverbs 13.10 says, Overconfidence brings nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. I mean, that passage of Scripture is pretty interesting to me. Depending on myself, being confident in my ability to make the right choice or decision opens up the door for things to become tense or conflict to exist or there to be strife. But if I can apply Jesus' counsel to the situations that I deal with, I open the door to walk in wisdom. It's a great application for who Jesus is in that moment. Uh, Proverbs 15.22, without consultations or consultation, excuse me, plans are frustrated. But with counsel, they succeed. When I can identify Jesus as wonderful counselor, when I can say in this moment, who do I say Jesus is? He is my wonderful counselor. I open up the door for and make a way for success. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen it reads like this, where there's no guidance, people fall. But in the abundance of counsel, there's victory. Well, I think victory and success are interchangeable. I think the passage of Scripture that we read from Proverbs 15 and that passage from Proverbs 11 are pretty much saying the same thing, that when we can apply counsel, good counsel, the counsel of Jesus Christ, the result will be victory. Uh, Proverbs 1.5, it reads like this, A wise person will hear an increase in learning. A person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. For me to live out my life in an understanding way will require me to pursue or to seek out wise counsel 
or let's say wonderful counsel. The counsel from the one who is the wonderful counselor. When we need direction, when we need advice, when we need to, to know which way to turn, what option to select, we can answer the question, who do you say that I am, as saying, Lord, I say you are my wonderful counselor. And have the doorway to victory be open wide. Now, this is an interesting thing to share. I mean, because we use the word counsel there, and maybe that word kind of gets a little lost in the weeds. But I want to give you the definition of counsel. It's really brief. There's nothing mind-blowing. But I think it's interesting and worth sharing. Counsel. Advice given, especially as a result of consultation. So when I read that definition, you know, we can just read it and think, oh, that's nice. But we can also just think on it for a moment. When it's identifying that it's the result of consultation, that reveals something to me. It's invited. It's pursued. It's not just advice that's floating around out in space somewhere that just by chance or by fate or by some other random thing just falls in your lap. Rather, this is pursued. For Jesus to be my wonderful counselor means I can consult with him. And for Jesus to operate in his identity as wonderful counselor will require that consultation. When faced with circumstance or situation, I can take that to him and offer it to him asking for his counsel. Who do you say that I am? I say you are our wonderful counselor. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. Now, this is the translation from the King James Version, Proverbs 20, verse 18. Every purpose is established by counsel. I mean, if I were to take that passage of scripture and apply it to my life, I would apply it with this understanding that everything that's worth doing is going to come through the counsel of Jesus Christ. It'll be established with good counsel in the right direction. Who do I say Jesus is? He's wonderful counselor. That next on that list from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 was mighty God. That, that he's powerful, that he's effective, that he's able to influence the situation or the circumstance. Even though it may seem impossible, he's mighty. I, I want to give a couple of passages of scripture here that I think are important to note. Uh, here's one from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's verse 21. Now, it's speaking here about something very specific. And I, I want to offer these things to you. I think they're just interesting side notes. So as, we, as we live out our lives, as we encounter others around us, whether it's family, whether it's uh, those that we relate with or have fellowship with, you know, questions can be asked, like, why is the Bible important? Why is going to church important? Those are really interesting questions. And I've had my share of lazy answers in the past. I mean, it's very easy for lazy answers to be uh, uh, found, especially when you're raising kids. I mean, kids ask a lot of questions. Sometimes they might surpass uh, the intelligence or the IQ of the one being asked, and so the result is a lazy answer. I've had my share of really amazing questions brought my way that were met with a lazy answer. I've had to repent, go back, and bring something uh, uh, had a little more substance to it. But, I mean, if you were to ask the question, why is the Scripture important, uh, you'll find it here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
Now, I want to read verse 21, but I want to give you the whole context. I mean, the whole context here is about why the Scripture is important. I'll give you the passage that we're looking for. It's advice to a parent, to their child. Then you can say to your child, we were once slaves, but the Lord brought us out of slavery with a mighty hand. And when we identify Jesus as our mighty God, when we're faced with the question, who do I say Jesus is in situations that seem impossible, in situations where it seems like bondage is prevailing, I'm able to to answer that question. I say that Jesus is mighty. I say that he's more powerful than the chains that would bind me. I say that he's stronger than than anything that would keep me in captivity. He truly is mighty. As you read on here in Deuteronomy, you you find out why this is important. It's identifying the the answer to the question, why does the word of God matter? And, And the answer comes in these words. The answer comes... That we can tell our children that the words of God, that the direction of God, the counsel of God is for our good and for our survival. What an interesting thing to say. For our good. I mean, you know, the, most of the perspective that the world would have as it concerns the, the word of God is that it's controlling or domineering or even chauvinistic or misogynistic or all of these things. But the reality is that the scripture has been given to us for our good. And then to throw on top of that for our survival, that without the word of God, we would perish whether it simply meant suffering or the absence of of productivity, fruitfulness, or prosperity, is up to the one reading to interpret. The reality is the Scripture is important to our lives for our good and our well-being and also for our survival. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here from Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. It's another passage identifying God's mighty hand delivering from slavery, another instruction given as to why it's important to celebrate God's might and and his ability to bring victory in seemingly impossible situations. It comes from uh, the, the Ten Commandments. As God is delivering the Ten Commandments, he comes to the Sabbath day, and he says, you shall remember in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, that you were once a slave. And the Lord your God delivered you from slavery by his mighty hand. And it's then that the Lord commanded you to rest. So if somebody asks, you know, why is it so important to to go to church? Why is it important to take a day of rest? Why is it important to do those things? These things are set aside to acknowledge God's might, his strength, that we were once in bondage and by his goodness he's delivered us. I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture here as it concerns God and his might. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is the king of glory? It's a question in the scripture. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord who is mighty in battle. The Lord who can bring victory. Psalm 150, verse 2 says, Praise him for his mighty deeds and praise him according to his excellent greatness. When I consider God's might and his ability to deliver, When I consider the deliverance of the past, that I was once a slave, and by God's might, he delivered me from the bondage of addiction, from the bondage of sin and captivity that came with it, it brings me to the place of celebration, that I can praise the Lord 
for his mighty deeds. His mighty deeds in my life include freedom. His mighty deeds in my life include deliverance. His mighty deeds in my life include the introduction of the things of the kingdom of God and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is praise and thanksgiving. So who is Jesus? Who do I say that he is? He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty to deliver and to save. And he is the everlasting father. Now this is a passage of scripture that I think is is interesting to stand on. I mentioned to you before that that to see God as your father produces a a wonderful sense of of connection. It's It's an amazing thing to ponder that this was his choice and decision to be identified as our father. I mean, he would be well within his right to simply identify with us as supreme ruler or some ridiculously, you know, obnoxious title, but he chooses father. That's his choice, his decision to identify with us as our father and to receive us as his children. I want to give you some scripture here. Second Corinthians chapter six, I want to read verses 16 through 18. And I will dwell among them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from darkness and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. His choice, his decision to receive us as children. Now, there's something that's liberating in this that I I have now, as this uh, a wonderful celebration as God of my, as my father, me as his son, now I have identity. Uh, it doesn't require a whole lot of reading between the lines, but, but some can help. I want to make a confession to you. Uh, I mean, this is church, so it's okay to confess my sins, right? I need to see if my wife is cringing on the front row. Uh, did, did we get a picture that we could post? Are you able to post that? This is my confession. I messed up. So I am uh, I'm going to work, and I'm rounding up guys headed to a job site. And this guy, who's now named Dingo, comes and he sits at my feet just like that and shoots me that look, okay? Now, it's against the rules for me to bring dogs home because it's happened before. Yeah, it happened fairly recently. And, and so, yeah, and other people, too, will tell me, hey, you got a problem. You know, like, this is something you need to deal with. So, so this, this guy comes, and he sits just like that, you know, and you look into those eyes, and, and all you, you, you know, can think is, I, <laughs> this is my dog now, you know. Uh, so, you know, Dingo gets loaded up. He gets taken home. It, it, I really botched this one okay so I did it all backwards right I mean you don't introduce you know this dog to your children and and things like that and then ask in front of your children honey can we keep him right (laughs) basically what you're saying is are you willing to be the devil in front of your children and yeah so I mean I really blew it and and you know we're still dealing with that it's not really complete yet but I figured talk about it at church that'll help right (laughs) Um, so we're looking to bring some closure. 
So this is Dingo, and I've been accused a little bit of being slightly obsessed with Dingo. Like, I, I look at him, and because I don't know his origins, I don't know, you know, his mom, I don't know his dad, I don't know really what he is. You know, so you can look and you can make some, some guesses based on what you see now, but I don't have any way to know what he's going to be, what he's capable of being. Now, in this example, it's just kind of goofy because, I mean, he's just a dog, right? So we're talking about things like size, you know, barking habits, temperament, you know, things like that. But it's really all because, and, and I know this is going to get maybe a little bit hallmark here, I don't know who his father is. I'm having to guess about who he's supposed to be. Now, when we come to a position where we can acknowledge, who do you say Jesus is? I say Jesus is my everlasting father. Now I know who I'm supposed to look like. I know what I'm capable of being in any situation or circumstance. I know my origins. I know where I come from. And I know, even though I may have to guess based on what I see right here, I know when I look to him, I see where I'm going. I see what I'm going to look like when his work is complete in me. We don't have to guess of, of who we are called to be, where we are going to end up. You're called to end up just like Jesus, to walk in righteousness, integrity, strength, and morality, and character, to bring God glory with your words and your actions, to speak words not from your own initiative, but to bring the words of God into any situation or circumstance, to not do the things that you may want to do or might be temporarily pleasing to you, but to do the things that God would do, the things that are pleasing to Him that expand His kingdom. When we come to the revelation that God is our Father, we know our origins, we know our DNA, so to speak, and therefore we know what we're called to look like. That's a powerful thing to consider. It's more than just the warm and fuzzies. It's a roadmap for the rest of our life to lead us and to guide us into who we are called to be. Now, if you leave that up there, no one's going to listen to the rest of the message. Dingo. Knowing who your father is is step one to knowing who you're going to be. The fact that we have Jesus bringing the identity of everlasting Father into our life is extremely powerful. When I'm faced with, with, with lies and deceptions, thoughts of, of having no purpose or, or being a loser or a failure, I can answer the question, who do I say Jesus is in that moment? And I say, he's my Father. I carry his DNA and I'm going to look just like him. It's powerful. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, uh, Jesus is, is giving us what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And I love that he says this. When, he, when people ask him, hey, can you teach us how to pray? We watch as you, you lead these services and you're preaching and you're ministering. We see you pray. We want that in our lives. And I love that Jesus doesn't say, hey, sorry, buddy. You either got it or you don't, you know. But he says, yes, I can teach you how to pray. And then step one, when he's teaching how to pray, he says, hey, pray like this. Our Father. Our Father. Man, what? I don't know that there's two more powerful words in all the Scripture. The identification is God as our Father. And then that word, our, that's inclusive. He didn't say, my Father. He said, our Father. He's your dad too. And you're called to be just like him. 
Uh, Psalm 103.13, it's revealing that just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who revere him. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.5, it talks about the heart of the father, that God is disciplining and directing our lives just as a father would direct his children. Uh, uh, Proverbs says the same thing, speaking of the love of God. For it is the love of God, by, by God's love. When the Lord loves, he disciplines just as a father would discipline those in whom he delights. It's confirmed again in Hebrews 12.6. And then I mentioned before we find out what it means for God to be our father. I want to give you this passage of scripture. We're going to move quickly through the rest of this. Isaiah 64 verse 8. What it means for God to be our father. Answered right here. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, Lord, you are are our Father. Therefore, we are the clay, you are the potter, all of us the work of your hand. What does it mean for God to be my Father? It means for my life to be surrendered to him to be shaped in the way that he would shape it. This is a real challenge for our culture. Our culture would love to flip the script on this verse and to see us as the potter and God as the clay. Let us make God in the image that we want him to be in. But God as our father is the potter. We as his children are the clay. It's him that's doing the shaping and the molding, and it's us that are being formed and being formed in the way that we ought to be. So who is Jesus? Who do I say that he is? I say he's wonderful counselor. I say he's mighty God. I say he's everlasting father. He's who I'm called to be in every way, shape, or form. I'm called to be just like him. And he's the prince of peace. When faced with with frustration, provocation, when faced with, with trial or tribulation, no matter what, when faced with chaos, when faced with anger, rage, wrath, you name it, Who do I say Jesus is? I say he's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 54.10 says, The mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, but my covenant of loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. Uh, Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the result. Peace Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that the God of peace will sanctify us, holy, body, soul, and spirit. Romans 12, verses 17 and 18, give this instruction, never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people, and if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Man, that's a hard one to pull off. I mean, I had a a moment of of provocation a a couple of weeks ago, and and that had to prevail in my life. Because everything on that side was calling out for war. But this passage of Scripture doesn't say, hey, if they get their act together, then be at peace. This says, don't worry about them. Let them melt down. Let them fuss. Let them rage on and on, but as long as it concerns you, as far as you are concerned, be at peace. It's up to me. Romans 16.20 says that the God of peace, which is an amazing thing to identify God as, will soon crush Satan beneath our feet. 
I want to give you a passage of Scripture here to close with. I told you we're going to find what Jesus leaves with us. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to the disciples, and that's you and I, that's, that's us, that's you and that's me. He says, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you, but don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What a wonderful passage of scripture to have Jesus reveal to us, that this isn't just something that, that we have access to, but rather it's something that we're called to obtain, to walk in and to carry. Not just simply be able to, to access it through a connection or contact, but rather we're called to be the deliverers, the carriers of peace. It's left with us. Much like I said earlier in that moment of provocation, that individual was raging and calling for all kinds of trouble, but peace was left with me. It was up to me. Not as the world gives, where the world would call for compromise. Well, if we can both come to this you know, place of conclusion, then there can be peace. But as Jesus would give, you can throw your tantrum, you can throw your fit, but as for me, I will not be drawn into that. I will stand for peace. Who do I say Jesus is in any situation? It's handy to know what the word reveals. It's handy to know who the scripture says Jesus is. And the scripture has a number of identities for our king, but among them are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I don't know that the scripture is ever required to be absolute in any given list. But I asked myself, and I wasn't able to put enough thought into it to come and, and make some declaration or statement. But I asked myself the question, you know, in those four things, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, have I ever dealt with any situation or circumstance that would not have been ministered to by one or a combination of those four things. And I really drew a blank. I think it could be safe to say that's a real absolute list. That you could keep those four identities as to who Jesus is in your pocket and deal with anything that life can throw at you. Is it a place where you need direction? You need to know what to do? Wonderful counselor. Is it a place where there's impossible odds and, and there's, there's this lack or sense of a lack of power or authority to accomplish or to overcome? Mighty God. Is there an identity issue where, where things that, that you know God has called you to are being called into question? Maybe doubt or anxiety could be prevailing, everlasting Father, to comfort, to lead, to guide, and to give himself as an example. And then with all the provocation that life throws, all of the, the, the calling out for the sake of, of chaos and, and violence and anger, Prince of Peace being completely up to us, not up to the situation, but up to the believer. I think it's pretty absolute. 
And when we're living our lives, to be able to answer the question, no matter what we face or what we deal with, being able to answer the question, who do I say Jesus is, by one of these four or a combination, I think opens the door to victory. I want to pray, I want to ask God to to reveal to us in, in greater, in deeper ways, who Jesus is, so that we can, without hesitation, answer that question when it's asked in the things that we face. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, that you've given him to lead us, to guide us, to make provision, to bring victory and success into everything that we would face and deal with. And let our hearts and our minds now be surrendered to the work of your spirit, that a renewal would take place, new habits would be formed, that when we would walk through our lives and deal with the things that we would face, that we would answer the question, who do I say Jesus is? And let that answer Be true, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let us call upon his name. Let us receive from his counsel, his power, his direction, his peace to see the solution necessary for the things that we would face. And let the result be the promised victory that will bring you honor and glory. Let us stand out in this world as light in the darkness, the saints walking in the name of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let it all bring you honor and glory. We bless your name and we thank you for this promised victory in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.